Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm excited for a really, really great conversation today. I know because I'm going to be honest, this is our second time. This is part two because Zoom did not cooperate the first time, but my guest and I, we just go with the flow and we say, you know what, this is going to happen. So here we are. And I am super, super pumped and eager to introduce you to my guest. My guest is Phyllis Reed Jarvis, who is the CEO and founder of Ultimate Potentials. She focuses on employee and organizational success, psychological. She's also a psychological health and safety workplace advisor. She also does a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she, like myself, is passionate about conscious leadership. Welcome to the show, Phyllis. Thank you, Kristen, and uh, a delight to do this again. We were made to meet again. So yeah, I'm really excited to um, to have our conversation. Looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And as a starting point, Phyllis, I always like to give the guests an opportunity to get to know a little bit more about you and your journey that really got you to the work that you're currently doing. So mm-hmm. you start us off where some guests have brought me back to high school. Some guests <laughs> have brought me back a little bit further into their career. Um, so definitely high level, but you start us wherever you want to start us to tell us your story. It's wonderful. You know, something's been happening. I've been doing some beautiful readings and um, one of which is uh, a book I've been reading from, uh, her name is Sarah Bon Brannock, yeah. but it's B-A-N-B-R-E-A-T-H-N-A-C-H. You're nodding, sound as if you're, you know who she is. Yeah. And the book that I'm reading, Kirsten, is entitled Peace and Plenty, something about a financial journey because she had a lot of money issues and that was one of my challenges as uh, a business owner early on and I discovered my money issues when I first started my business and I laughed when you said some of your guests took you back to you know wherever because lately I've been circling back in on myself and in Sarah's book there's that, a sentence in that book where she, she made that reference, where she asked the reader, if you've noticed that a lot of things have been coming up in your life that you've gone through already, and it's almost as if you've, you're circling back in on yourself. And that's how I feel. So when you, when you said what your guests, some of them, how far back they would go, I, you know, I was thinking about who... Phyllis Catherine Reed Jarvis really is. And when did this started to take shape that I was conscious of, right? Because I do conscious leadership training and coaching. I got to be conscious of my own self. And I recognize, Kristen, that this desire to, uh, I call it educate, because I am a coach and, 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 uh, and I love the world of coaching and the field and what it offers. Uh, me to offer my clients 
at my heart is education. And to educate means to pull out that which is in the person already. And so using Sarah Brand, uh, Bon Brannock's um, little sentence, I was looking way, way back. And I remember being age five when I started my own leadership journey and started my own, you know, kind of coaching of myself, because long and short of the story is my, it's pre-kindergarten. So this is in Jamaica. And my teacher would never pick on me to read. And I wanted nothing more than to be asked to help her to read. She would call the kids and Phyllis's hand would be one of the first to go up. I would never get called. I would never be asked to come and join her. And every day went on like this. And I just persisted. And then when she would select another student, I would disconnect and just start chatting with other students. So it continued my converse. Of course, that got me into trouble. And one day as a way of stopping me, she was very frustrated. I remember she said, Phyllis Reed, you get up here to the front. Read this very threateningly. And I took, it was the Bible that we were reading, because this is just how you're, you know, schooled in Jamaica back then. And she handed it to me and very much like, I'll show you, right? So she handed me this book and she's like, read it. I'm all of like four years old, maybe five. I wasn't even five, I don't think. And long and short of it is, not only did I read it, but I read it with intonation, with just the different voice inflections. And I knew when to pause and I knew, you know, for the effect and she was blown away. And long and short of it is, Kristen, who got to be her handy dandy reader helper, Phyllis. So that to me, looking back, and I'm sort of writing my memoir for the first 10 years of my life. And so those stories keep coming up. And I think that's where my journey really started because I never allowed anyone or any circumstances to keep me down. And my mom can attest to this, my, my family, you name it. So where I am today though, started out many, many years ago when I thought I wanted to be a nutritionist and I went to the university, uh, one of the universities here to pursue a microbiology degree and turned out I didn't like playing around with microbes and microorganisms. I thought that was kind of yucky for me. And I transferred over to another university and said, I'm gonna pursue a career as a nutritionist. And when I met with my advisor, he asked me what my goals and such were. And I told him, and he's like, why would you stop there? And I said, is there more? He said, yes, you could be a registered dietitian. I'm like, oh, what is that? And what does it entail? And he told me, and I said, sure, I can be one of those, which I did. And I was a registered dietitian for the better part of the first 20 years or so of my career. I had an amazing career, lots of ups and down, of course, and challenges, some diversity challenges, which I wasn't even aware of like now. But I had that as my first foray into, into business. And then my clients kept coming to me, of course, with weight issues, and they thought it could be solved through food and through eating and just a meal plan would magically make it all disappear. And uh, naturally, uh, you know, I continued to learn and grow. I ended up taking some, some coaching courses, some counseling courses to augment my nutrition uh, background. And I started more coaching folks rather than counseling and starting to get inside 
And then a, another colleague of mine said, why don't you just go and make it formal, Phyllis? Because that's what you've been doing. You're, you're just coaching, right? And I'm like, okay, sure. I can do that. <laughs> and I did. So that's how I ended up becoming uh, a professional certified coach. I'm a PCC. And, um, you know, that coaching journey was just tremendous, Kristen. It changed me. I had this inside out transformation. Um, I, I kind of, I got to understand what it was like being on the other side of that counseling coaching room, sitting in my client's chairs as the coachy as the client. So it was a wonderful transformation. And I did that for the better part, as I said, of uh, 20 years owning my own business, very, very reasonably successful. And then I, um, I felt like I needed to change because I was at first very, you know, averse to being in organizations, but ended up in the latter years being drawn to organizations. And, and that's where I am. And uh, ended up the last five, six years until COVID hit. And now I'm circling right back into the whole, uh, the conscious leadership is all about people becoming whole and being whole leaders. But I'm sure we can talk about that. Later. Yeah. So that's my very long response to your it, and, and I love it because I, I, I really love that you went into a lot of different directions and, and me knowing you, I, I can totally see little Phyllis and little Phyllis's persistence and little so Phyllis- true. Um, I'm going to make things happen. And, and, and you didn't even talk about the fact that while you were doing your coaching program, you were always also doing a master's program. Like that is correct. Why not? Why not throw a master's degree in? Why not? Why not? You know, mother of teenagers at the time, two teenage sons. Yes. Why not? Right. So I was doing all of that. And, um, it was an incredible journey. I've been, as I said, circling back in on myself and I've been looking at my journals because journaling is a powerful tool that I've been using for the better part of 20 years. And I'm writing a new ebook, which we're hoping is ready for the public July 31st or sooner. And the ebook is actually based on some of the principles that I have used over the years to help get me through being in coaching school. It's a two year long uh, program, very, very intense program, being in grad school, being the mother of teenagers. I am also a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, you name it, I'm a business owner. And needless to say, it was very, very challenging times. But these tools that I've been using have been tremendous. And that's what actually got me uh, through. And, I'm, and it's what I want to, to share. I get so excited being able to share this journey of mine along with these tools that have been tried and proven to be true with my clients. The tools piece, there's two things I want to speak to that. One is the inner transformation because, uh, and I'm going to go to back to that one, but the tools absolutely... Uh, even more so it showed up with so many clients during COVID because it's multi-layered, right? You've got Absolutely. multiple things happening. There could be the unknown, the unknown and uncertainty and people losing jobs and um, uh, homeschooling or worried about elder parents or feeling lonely, not seeing Absolutely. Their like this thing has been something where it's not one thing. It's not two things. 
10 things could be happening. Many, many, one. many things just all layered on top yes, of each other. Yes. Yeah. And, and the tools I've been talking so often with clients about this. And what I find is also quite interesting is recognizing, and I've been helping them really adding a lot of things to their toolkit because what works really well one day is not going to necessarily work as well the other day. We're one humans, day. right? <laughs> right. So it's checking in and, and I've been really mm-hmm. helping them to, to pause and listen and tap into intuitively and what are their needs in that moment and very powerful it might be going for a walk sometimes it might be meditating sometimes it might be journaling sometimes mm-hmm. it might be dancing and getting movement mm-hmm. or oh, reading so or good podcast, right so, so rich um so I love what you're saying there and I'm, I'm so happy to hear you're going to have a toolkit the other thing I didn't want to lose in the thread that what you said that I think is really important in it and it's um and I love we talked about this earlier around as a dietitian where everyone was like you're a little bit different than everybody else like <laughs> because you were focused even back then on whole person and whole person band-aids getting at yeah. the roots mm-hmm, and if you always mm-hmm. focus on the weights and always focus on the things outside, externally. The external oh. factors, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you actually reminded me of that um, aspect of our conversation, Kristen, because, and I struggled to make that shift because I, as a business owner, you give your clients what they want. And in so doing, I actually was taking pieces of me like I I was not feeling um, as if I was truly contributing to their real growth I felt as if as you said I was helping them to really stretch this band-aid over this big gaping wound when that wound actually needed more of a I'm so graphic a surgical approach right where you want to stitch thing together make sure it doesn't break open And so in the early parts of my career, when I wanted to use the coaching, I didn't have a ready audience because folks just didn't know what that approach was. And I I admit I was not very good or adept, I'd rather that word, I wasn't very adept at say, saying what coaching is, or even um, creating that opportunity for them to experience it before they committed. And so it was through trial and error that I ended up again, you know, I, I went into the organizational world, because they were more receptive to coaching, I didn't want I felt as if I was selling parts of my sacred energy in doing work with people where I know it's not going to fix what they're struggling with. Um, so that's where the statement, uh, it, came, it came in or came up over the years when my clients would sit in front of me and they would hear the approach that I would take. First and foremost, I though I wasn't doing leadership training then, I was a di- dietitian, I would always talk about my clients being leaders. And that you, the first person that you're leading is yourself. And self-leadership is one of the most powerful forms of leadership. And when you're able to lead yourself, others will see it. And that is when you'll have that shift where people will say, I like what I see in Kristen. I want some of that, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes people will be bold enough to say, hey, there's something about you that I like. What is it? What are you doing? (laughs) Tell me, right? And so people are like, oh, I'm no leader. I said, yes, you are. 
And, you know, we talked about some little things such as getting up, such as getting dressed, such as getting to work or getting the kids off the school and, and doing it on time, getting the meals on the table. And they're like, oh, but that's just what we do. I said, not everyone does that, are able to do it. And folks break under those responsibilities, but you do it day in and day out. So I was doing the leadership piece with you know, individuals, couples and families. And so I was very, very comfortable just transferring that over into organizations because I kept the two separate. But my clients, my nutrition related clients would always say to me, you're not like the other dietitians. And the first time that was said to me, I was very curious. I said, oh, what does that mean? I had no idea where they were going. Well, you know, and sometimes they would hesitate, but they're like, well, I had this one dietitian who told me, well, you need to stop eating this. And this is what you need to be eating. Because when you eat like this, your weight, you're going to have better control over your weight and you're going to be healthier. And you know what, Phyllis? She was like, 250 pounds. And she's telling me this. Is she listening to herself? Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, Oh, okay. Because again, that's leadership. We all know that as a leader, if what we say doesn't align with what we do, we don't even need to do or say anything else. Our people will see it. And so we have to align our audio with our video. And that's what my clients were saying without saying it. Yeah. But I would get that over and over. You're not like the other dietitians. I would refuse to put them on the scale because it's going to depress them for one. And two, it's just an external result of what's going on inside, Kristen. Yeah. And that's where I wanted to take people, but I needed to do it a bit differently. I needed to, um, of course, in coaching, because that's where coaching really elevated my game. I learned in coaching. Now you're going to start where people are at and work with them to take them where they say they want to yes. be. And that's yeah. where coaching really made a massive difference yeah. in my practice back then and yeah. still today. Yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that they didn't have the words to articulate it, but it's also how they were, how you were making them feel right. They felt a different way about themselves and they started different. to probably see possibilities and it felt more empowered and they could get really go deeper around what's really happening here. And as you were talking about that with the organizations, absolutely the parallels and then also it was making me think of how often the moms are the CEO of the household. They're doing CEO. all of these things. I have used what? that very term with right? them. I said, yes. if they're so fortunate to have a, a partner with whom they're running their, their home, I said, your home is the equivalent of an organization. Yes. You're the CEO of, and this is whatever department that they excel in, and your other partner is the CEO of this other department. And you come together regularly to meet to find out how best to run this organization for the overall benefit of everyone. And so your children are like your employees, yes. you know, and it's a little stretching there, but I'm, I'm a big fan of metaphors and so on. But um, they're watching you. And they are not necessarily hearing what you're deliberately saying, but it's your actions mm -hmm. that speak mm -hmm. so much louder than mm -hmm. your words. And so as CEOs of this beautiful organization that you call your home, you have these beautiful employees who are looking to you 
because they've been placed in your charge and you're responsible for them. So when we take that kind of approach um, of being conscious about our roles as leaders, and it doesn't matter if you're the mom, you're a dad, it doesn't matter if you're an individual, you're living by yourself, you're responsible for you. you, you have agency over your life. And so you're now going to honor this wonderful gift that you've been blessed with, i.e. you. This is a gift. So how do we, you know, give that thanks and honoring to this beautiful gift? Never mind also when on top of ourselves being our gifts, we also have others, other lives, little mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. that's been placed in our charge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it just, it's, it's a domino effect. And that's why conscious leadership for me is such a powerful um, approach to life. Our, one of our slogans, it is the only slogan, it's, it's, it goes like this. It says, love how you live, work, and play. Mm. Yes. How do we get more conscious than that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, right? and you've talked about this and, and, and you said it again beautifully here that a leader is not just about a leader by title, right? It's how you're leading in your community. Um, every time you show up like that, you're impacting people. And it reminds me like we've sat down and talked about what our guiding principles are as a family and our vision of a family and where we're going. And my husband and I in our partnership and what we're trying to create together to go to that vision. And there's so many parallels to um, what goes on in a family and what goes on in an organization. And, and you don't need to have kids. I know there's a lot of people who are listening don't to this show. To. You don't have yeah. kids. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And when I think Michelle Obama said this, and I loved it when I heard her speak a couple of years ago, um, she's such a role model to me. And she was talking about the fact that, oh, it's not your children. It's our children. The it's children, our children. Are there in the world, it's, we yeah. all have a res- the African proverb, right? It takes a village right. to raise a child. And right. I, I've lived that. Thankfully, I, I was born in Jamaica. I grew up there for the first 20 years of my life. And I literally, Kristen, was living in a village. I was an interesting child, a rather challenging child, let's just put it that way. And yet, my mom was never worried, fearful or anything, because she knew whenever I would venture off, and I would do this, I would venture off, I lived in the rural parts of Jamaica, and the entire community was my playing field. And I would go really far from home, this little girl. I had no fears then. And wherever I'd go, there would be an uncle or an aunt or a cousin, none of them related by blood, but that's how I was treated. So I always felt safe. I always felt protected growing up. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Powerful. Um, I'd love to take you into the amazing work that you're doing with workplaces. And and I know there's a, a philosophy that you share around the leadership development and the different places that you go with organizations. Tell me a little bit more about your, your program and philosophy and framework. Okay, so and again, thanks so much for raising this because this framework of ours is about, it's pushing 20 years old. And I realized my own transformation that, I, you know, we do the work, it's all based on the framework, but I was not really 
talking about the framework. We would do the training and we teach folks to use the framework, but we're not really saying, this is what we're doing here. So the framework is I dare and I-D-A-R-E. Whatever we do, I do, and this really started from my own transformation, Kristen, as I said, I learned a long while back that intention is at the core of every single thing that we do. Some of us are very, very fortunate to be mindful of it and aware that we're leading with intention. Um, others who are not so fortunate are still leading with intention. And they say, I just know it's right for me. I just know it feels right. You've heard that, right? Yes. Yeah. But that's intention speaking to us. And so our framework and all the work that we do with organizations, with families, because we've now merged the two sides of our corporation. We had what's called I Dare Life. Again, that's the framework and it's the life personal side. And the last six, seven years, we focus heavily on I Dare Work. But again, it's all built on the I Dare framework. So if intention is what is really calling us and speaking to us, why not make it a deliberate way in which we lead, a deliberate way in which we show up at, at work for our employees, for our colleagues, for our customers, and so on, our communities within which we work, right? Why not make intention that deliberate way in which we honor and again, show up in our personal relationships. The one we of course have first with ourselves and then what we have with our partners or children or friends and siblings and so on. So this is the framework that we've actually built out and use for both work and life. And um, we use it to do whether it's strategic training. Uh, we've done a lot of strategy work around I dare. What is the intention? And it's not just your goals. Your goals are what you're going to use to get that deep-seated desire, that calling, that yearning that's inside of you, because that is what intention is, the goals will help you achieve it. But we get people to start to dig deeper as to what's in them. And that requires us to be, um, you know, face some of the not so beautiful parts of us, because sometimes we tend to uh, be playing a tune that is not our tune. It's not our music. It's somebody else's music that we're playing. And uh, we're pretending that, oh, this is wonderful. I say this with such conviction because I was that person at some, right, in my life, at points in my life. And playing it safe. Those are some of the things we do to quiet intention, but intention is beautifully unrelenting. It doesn't stop and it doesn't shout because we actually can't discover our intention until we learn how to quiet and still ourselves, mind, heart, soul, hence conscious leadership. So the whole principle of conscious leadership is built around the I dare framework. And as I said, we use it in our one-on-one -on -one coaching, mastermind group coaching, workshops, anything we do. It's all 
built on intention. We have some beautiful, what we call I dare life principles. Mm -hmm. That's also a piece that a very, very important um, foundational piece to the work that we do with, whether it's families, the personal side or the work side. And these life principles, there's six of them that uh, we show folks how to use them, recognize them, and how to use them to fulfill their, um, their deep-seated intention. Beautiful. And you know, what I remember you saying, Phyllis, is that um, as you've done more work around diversity, equity, and inclusion, that that was sometimes part of your overall program, it was fitting in, but you recognize that you needed to really have that as a focus piece. And um, I'd love to dive in with you a, a little bit around diversity, equity, inclusion. From my perspective, um, there's much more of an appetite. And to me, it's that people are getting it and not a and nice to have, and we're doing this because we should do it, but there's a lot of really doing the work and authentically recognize this is a journey. There's not going to be this destination like we're here. It's going to be something that's continuously evolving. And so I'm really, really curious to hear about the work that you've been doing in this space. Great. And, you know, it's an example, Kristen, of what I just said, how all these years, I was hiding diversity, equity, and inclusion work under the banner of leadership. And leadership is a very powerful and important um, aspect of organizational development and developing families and, and individuals. But I didn't have the courage back pre-COVID-19 uh, to tease this aspect of our workout. So we would bury it under the guise of leadership. So the organizations with whom we've worked and the majority of our work in the last six years actually were international. We, 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 our clients are all international. So I spent more time in South America than I did here. In Canada. It sounds really glamorous and everything, but um, it actually, it's a little bit of a, a cost to us because the relationships at home here, right? We didn't, I was not investing in those business networks and building that foundation home. I was doing it internationally. Yeah. I still have those clients. I still have those friends and it's wonderful, but now I'm like building and digging yeah. and laying new foundation. So yeah. yeah, so our diversity, equity and inclusion work, we were um, a lot more courageous to pull it out in 2020, separated it out as a full-fledged comprehensive program. It's actually called Pathways to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Oh. I have a master's degree in public health. And as you know, I am a registered dietitian. I have a very strong grounding in the field of health and wellness and, and so on. And in particular, public health. I was a public health dietitian for, for quite a while. Yeah. And um, so the program is designed on the with the principles of public health, where we look at assessments, where we look at ways in which to uh, develop and create or assess policies, mm -hmm. and then assurance. All of us today where COVID-19 is concerned, we want to be assured that, hey, if I take the vaccine, Will I have the immunity that it says I will have? 90% immune immunity granted is what we're seeing. That's assurance, right? Oh, if I wear my mask and somebody else wears their mask, does that help prevent the spread of the disease? Yes, the data tells us that it will. 
assurance. So those are the three principles on which we have designed our Pathways to Diversity, Equity and Inclusion course. And um, so we do comprehensive assessment or what's coming up actually June 9th and 16th, we are running one component of the course which is called Managing Unconscious Bias. There are two half day courses that we're making available. And it's such beautiful work. Uh, Kristen, because we're not talking about the uh, the obvious unconscious bias type of work. What we're looking at is powerful work that researchers such as Robin D'Angelo, she's the author of White Fragility, work that uh, Dr. Ibrahim X. Kendi, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, truckload of other data that they've you know compiled so we've pulled that information together and what in our course i actually use improvisation like improv techniques oh, i love I improv love to laugh. <laughs> i know i took a couple courses and i'm like this is fun i'm gonna incorporate this into my training yeah. and so we use improv to help lighten Mm -hmm. uh, the kind of the emotional load that people might be entering the course with and, and, but just to make it easier for folks to feel relaxed, talking about a very heavy and important topic. And so we are, I'm super proud and pleased with what we're doing. I think that there's great value in this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion program that we have to offer organizations. And so I'm just looking at the data that's coming in for those who have done some of the work and we're analyzing just to see the difference that, that it's made. But that's how we became, well, we, in 2020, we became a bit, you know, we became quite bold and say, that's it. Yeah. We're encouraging people to be their whole selves. Well, that's why don't I start with that? Yes. Wow, the leader, right? Modeling it. Yeah. Modeling. modeling it beautifully. And when you think about conscious leadership in relation to diversity, equity, inclusion, this is where I'm going to give you a magic wand and say, <laughs> okay, Phyllis, you get to have your magic wand. And when you think about, and you don't have to keep this just to organizations, you can think of it in terms of organizations and community and society and culturally. And when you think about that path forward in terms of conscious leadership, what do you want to see more of? Like, what do you think the pathway is to help? Because one of the things I've noticed, and I, and I love when you said this earlier around coaching, is that you have to meet people where they are. Where they are. That yeah. took me a little while to get used to when I noticed myself who are people who are in different places on the spectrum of consciousness and then I realized wait a second Kristen where is your compassion where is your empathy if you're showing up you're all self-righteous I'm sorry you're not being very conscious yourself listening in on my conversation that I had with me <laughs> that I had to say to myself right because really and truly if we're really going to and I think what your question is that you're asking me how do we marry the, the, the leadership component with diversity, equity, and inclusion? In my mind, it's very simple. Diversity, equity, and inclusion within organizations, families, communities, and so on will never happen until leaders begin to model that this is a value 
a principle that we've come to value. And that's how we actually develop values. They're principles that we learned and we found that they actually do for us things that make us feel amazing. We feel grounded, we feel centered, and we feel more authentic and truer to ourselves. And so that principle be now becomes something that we value. And we say, my value is, and you list what a value is, and thus we develop a bunch of values. So for the two to come together, the literature actually tells us leaders are the stewards of their organizations. Parents are the stewards of their organizations, right? So if we look at the home, when the parents, and with, again, even if you are living with yourself, you need to have those conversations with yourself. I invite you to have those conversations with yourself and say, what are my principles, my guiding principles around diversity? When I see someone who looks different from I do, who may sound different, who may dress very differently from the way I dress, et cetera, sort of they eat different foods and so on and so forth. How do I show up with that person? And I actually tell a real, I think it's a very funny story in um, our managing unconscious bias course, the first component where, you know, years back, people would come up, usually a white person, and I'm a very extroverted per person. I'd like to think people are comfortable around me. And I sense that's the case. And so in talking with these folks, they would in just, you know, eventually say, oh, where are you from? And I used to be offended by that question. And I tell the story in the course that, and I would answer in my thickest Jamaican accent, um, Canada man, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I would say it like that. And you could see the embarrassment on their face, that, right? They did not feel good. But since learning improv, I recognized that the question is an invitation. It's an offer that's been given to me. And the offer says, I would like to learn more about you, mm -hmm. right? I'm curious about you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to make assumptions other than that offer. So when the offer of where are you from is given to me, one of the second rules of improv is you must accept the offer because yeah. you're going to make the person feel really good. Yeah. So I accept the offer by saying, oh, um, Winnipeg and whereabouts are you from? So yes, and, right? That's one of the, the basic principles. Oh, and, yes. and then the person will still be a bit confused, right? Because they're thinking, ah, you don't sound, you know, uh, like you're from Winnipeg, but they're going to say, oh, I'm from Winnipeg also. And then you're going to come back and say, oh, yes. And um, actually, I actually was born in Jamaica and came here when? How about you? So you just mm -hmm. keep that, right? It's a little yes. bit of a tennis yeah. game that you're playing and then I always end it by saying and if you know me well enough that person will end up having dinner along with their family at my home pre-COVID times okay so to your question leadership and diversity equity and inclusion it will never happen until leaders recognize that there there's been an offer given 
to them as leaders, to all of us as leaders, that we need to accept this offer called diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that we need to give back an offer. And that offer that we're giving back to them now is one that says we are stewards of this, our companies, our organizations, our families, and we embrace diversity, and we believe and value what diversity brings. Therefore, it will be seen in our hiring practices. Mm -hmm. It will be seen in our policies and procedures. It will be seen in everything that we do, so much so that it will be written in the fabrics of our organization, both at work and at home. So we need the two to come together. They're not separate entities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree completely in it. It kind of warmed my heart as you were speaking as well, because when I describe my mission, I say uh, my mission is to raise consciousness globally by humanizing work and transforming leaders. And, and, and part of it is also like there's work to be done, right? We have to do the work and each of us has to do the work. There, aren't, there, aren't, there isn't anybody who's arrived at this place yeah. where they're done doing the work. And if you think that, then we already know there's more work to do because more work. the work's yeah. not done. The work's not done. And mm-hmm. you know, that leads me very beautifully into my next question is this is a podcast too. We're all leaders who are learning and growing as we, as we go through this journey as well. So I'm curious for you, Phyllis, and mm-hmm. your learning and growth. Uh, what, what have you had, what have you, what have you started to learn about yourself in terms of maybe some of your goals, some developmental goals, or maybe things that you learned along the road where you want to reflect on, yeah, this is something that I learned about myself as a leader that I was really surprised about. You, you tell me where you want to take me, but this is where you get to share some of the learning that has come for you during your leadership journey. Powerful, powerful question. Love it. There's so many, um, development, uh, developmental, I guess, roads I have traveled and continue to travel on. Lately, remember earlier I mentioned about circling back in on myself. So I'm a very, very committed journaler. I I mentioned it's, it's how I start every single day. It doesn't matter where in the world I was (laughs) pre-COVID. Now I'm always here at home, which is wonderful. I celebrate it. I honor it. Um, But I would always start the morning with uh, meditation, deep meditation, and then journaling and prayer. So those are my guiding principles that I've come to value. One of the things that I've learned about myself. And I actually, it was brought to my attention about 10 years ago by a trainer. So I was a recipient of training as part of this massive training. And it was that I believed, Kristen, that whatever I'm going to achieve, that I must work very hard for it, Mm. that I must struggle that it's like, you know, I lose part of an arm so that I can gain this thing. And so if it's too easy for me, I would quickly, I would finish it. So I'm never a person to quit. I never quit, but I would finish that assignment. And then I would say, that's it. I'm not interested in doing any more of that assignment. It's good. It's just not for me. And you know, thanks to my husband, he's, he's my built-in coach, actually. 
And he's always said to me, these things, Phyllis, that you talk about, that you say are not really worthy to share with people because they're so easy, they're so simple is what I would say, especially when I worked as a dietitian. I, I just wouldn't teach people certain things because I'm like, you should know that. It's so easy, it's so simple. And he said, not for everyone. But I never believed him. Of course, you don't listen to the ones that are closest to you. I've since learned better. So one of the things that I've learned from a developmental point of my own leadership journey is that I needed to release that belief that I have to struggle to achieve whatever it is I believe is worth pursuing. And as I said, it took 11 years because I was first introduced to it 10 years ago. And I would sometimes I'm on the path where I am not into that mindset of struggle. And then I would fall right back into it. So one of the most, I would say, enlightening moments for me is when it really hit me. Um, and I'm going to say it hit me in 2020 because I had a lot more time to do deeper thinking. I thought I, on those flights, I, I had still have clients in, in Asia. So it's a long flight, 15 hours. It's a lot of time to sit and I would meditate. And I thought I was using my time really well. But I, I you know, Kristen, that somewhat escaped me. But that's one of my biggest lessons. And I mentioned there's a, a tool that when I looked back at my journaling over the years, it's there's a formula that I have always been using and continue to use. And I call it GREASE. It's, it's not the sexiest of um, acronym, but it's G-R-E-I-S. And that, when you read my journals, which you will never get to read until the book is really finished, because I'm actually pulling it all together to create a book. But the G, of course, is gratitude. And we start with gratitude. So there's some fundamental things that I always list. But then, then I would make myself become deeply aware of what is one thing or more for this particular day or the day previous that I am grateful for. So there's always something new. So there's the G in Greece, right? The R is what I choose to release today. Mm. So it's that release. And it's in that practice that I, when I've been reading my journal, because I'm writing, as I said, the book, right? I notice, oh my goodness, look at the trend that's been coming along, especially since 2010. I have journals that go way back prior to 2010. But this was the trend. And I could see the transformation that was happening internally. And then I also saw it in my physical pillar, i.e. the quality clients, the, their wonderful clients who paid us wonderfully to do the work that we are just so honored to do for them. So the G is the gratitude. The R is what I choose to release. And some days it's like, okay, what do I release? I can't find it. And think, what do I want to read? Okay, I release even if the doubt or fear or whatever negative emotion I might hold is as tiny as the grain of sand. I release that today. 
And then the E is embrace. What do I embrace? So I will choose to embrace. So if I'm re em releasing doubt or fear, I embrace knowing that I have everything that I need for this journey. Right. So that's the E and you fill it in certain days. It changes for me. Right. And then so G-R-E and then the I is intention. What is my intention for today? And I write that out. And then the S is to seal it. Mm. Some people will say amen. Some people will say, um, you know, namaste, satnam. You name it. Thank you. Some people will say thank you, but it must be sealed because it's a contract that I'm opening up with myself for that day because that's all I have is in that moment. And um, so I write it out and then throughout, I keep the journal at hand. Right. And so during the day, I will open up and I will check whatever it is that I um, had written because it's remember it's moment by moment. We only have each moment. And that's what I found Kristen has been one of my biggest leadership um, learning is to release this ideology belief that I have to struggle because, you know, on the one hand, I'm saying I have to struggle. And then when you read my journaling, I say, I know I have everything that I need for this journey that I've been placed on. So if I have everything that I need, why do I need to struggle? Yeah. I just need to be. Just yes, be. you just need to be. This is a wonderful place to end it because I know everybody who's listening in some form create some struggles that they don't have. And it shows up in many different ways, right? The struggling with trying to control, not wanting mm -hmm. to surrender and needing to know how things are, things are going to look so many different things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be their worst enemy because a lot of times unconscious beliefs that are operating in the background. So this is our invitation to you to spend some time doing the work and go inside because it starts with that inner transformation. Phyllis, thank you so much for being here. Where can people learn more about you? Thank you for having me, Kristen. It's, it's just an honor. Um, ultimatepotentials.com or Phyllis Reed Jarvis, either one, our website will pop up. And um, yeah, as I said, you know, we're online, we're on every social media platform, pretty much. So heavy on LinkedIn, I must say. Um, but uh, we do have a Facebook, Instagram accounts and such. But uh, yeah, ultimatepotentials.com or Phyllis Reed Jarvis is how folks can can reach me. Amazing. Everyone check out Phyllis and her work, go to her website, follow along. And wherever you are in the world, good morning, good after good evening, we are sending you love. Satnam. Thank you. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.